Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Tim Tai. Tim, uh, I see lots of your stuff on on Facebook. Uh, I've got, I feel like I kind of know you, <laughs> but uh, I haven't ever actually had met you in person. Um, let's let's start by uh, tell me a bit about your story. Uh, tell me uh, tell me a bit about you. Yeah, you know what? Likewise, that's kind of how it works these days, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially since COVID, I, I feel like I've added like five extra new friends just on Facebook, even though I haven't met them in person. Yeah. <laughs> so likewise, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks for having me on. And I know that you've actually spoken to quite a lot of people that are really in the common circle already that I also know. And uh, they've actually talked about you quite a bit and all very highly regarded. So it's good. And one of them told me that they've actually done deals with you. And so, you know what, this is a very small circle, as you know, and if they done deals with you, then I know the trust factor is there. And that's important to me. Yeah, I so, know exactly which one you're talking about, yeah. and, <laughs> and and it's that's the way I do. Like when I borrow money for private lending, is um, exactly. I didn't have any issues with that one. But if you ever have issues with private money, my my rule is always like never tell the person who lent you the money that you're having problems, and find a way to pay them no matter what. Never exactly. never make any excuses. Don't make your problems their problems because they won't want to be. You just make it seamless. You find the money. I didn't have that. Everything went perfectly to plan with the one we did. But, you know, if you do have problems, just pay them yeah. every time. And that's how you will build your reputation if you do what you say you're exactly. going to do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's what we always say, right? People will do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And trust is built on one deal at a time, right? And so... So it sounds like you've done that really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll go back to it. Tell, tell us yes. about you. Let's hear your story. <laughs> I know you've done a lot well, of stuff, so we're not going to go into each yeah. deal or anything like that. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's really funny is that, I mean, this year I keep telling people that I'm kind of celebrating my 10th anniversary, so a decade into this, this industry now, mm -hmm. which is real estate investing. And um, I actually really started simply because I lost all of my savings about 10-ish years ago. Oh. And um, yeah, well, I mean, you and I both know this is real estate. If you know what you're doing, you can make a lot of money. If you don't know what you're doing, you can lose a lot of money pretty fast too. So that's kind of what happened to me because back in 2009 now, I know I don't, I don't look that old. I mean, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm in my late 30s. So this, was, this kind of happened in my late 20s. And uh, it didn't really take a rocket scientist to really learn that, hey, you know what? My RSP was not going to get me the retirement lifestyle that I was looking for. Yep. And I was one of those really good Asian kids that worked really hard, made a lot of money, and I stashed a lot of money away. So between TFSAs, and they only just started in 2008 or 2009, right, yeah, TFSAs? Then, yeah. And uh, I don't even remember now. <laughs> and I put away money for RSPs. I did stock options because I came from the corporate world. I did everything I can possibly do, including savings and paying down my mortgage as quickly as I possibly could. See, I sound like somebody who's not financially educated back then. And yeah. I totally was. And it's really funny because um, I don't know if you know this. Every single day I do, uh, between Monday and Friday, I do something called my daily dose with him. And t this week, because somebody suggested that maybe I should share a little bit about the financial education journey that I've been on too. Yeah. And so today I kind of talked about that too. So, well, back in 09 though, at that point, I had already been in corporate for about three years. 
And three years in, I was literally, most people say, hey, they work 40 hour jobs. I mean, congratulations. I was on paper, I had a 40 hour a week job. However, really the reality was 70, 80 hours. And, um, and that's just what you get, right? For climbing the corporate ladder as quickly as you possibly can. You always want to, you know, reach that carrot that they were, they were dangling in front of you. You want to climb a little faster. So you always go above and beyond. I remember the joke that we always have amongst all of us um, was championing something or championing a project means basically getting paid the same and working way more. <laughs> That's yeah. it, right? Yeah. And so when the combination of all of that basically got me to ask one of my coworkers who was basically my mom's age, actually 30 years older than me. And so again, I looked at her and I'm like, well, you know what, we're at the same level and we probably get paid about the same amount of money. Why is your lifestyle so much better? Forgetting that she's 30 years older than me. She's got a, a, a bit more runway now to yeah. build her wealth. Yeah. However, she basically just said, hey, you know what? We actually park our money in real estate. And to me, right there and then, I'm thinking, oh, jackpot, because I've been interested in real estate, just never really looked into it, to be really honest. I was an accidental or a natural landlord, as in I actually moved from Vancouver to Edmonton in 2009, and I left the condo behind that I was renting out at the time. Yep. Even though it was not cash flowing, most, most months, it was actually in the negatives. However, again, old mindset. It didn't matter. It's okay, especially in the Vancouver market. It's value is going to go up. Yeah. And in fact, it did go up. By the time I moved, it had already gone up $100,000, which is crazy. Yeah. And for a 20-something-year-old, that was like, yeah, okay, you know what? I'm just going to buy as many as I possibly can. And that is the one very, the one very thing that I speak against these things as well. <laughs> Don't be a property collector for the sake of doing that. And and so I, I got a referral from my coworker, and uh, she said, hey, just talk to this guy. So the trust was already kind of there because, yeah, yeah. you know, I saw how successful she was, the lifestyle that she had, and, you know, I respect her. And so she goes, just talk to this guy. And honestly, though, that day when I go to that meeting with the, I think he was a developer or the salesperson really representing that project. Long story short, I already had my checkbook with me. Again, that's how old I am. I brought my checkbook with me. And literally, at the end of a very amazing 45-minute presentation, with all of the glossy marketing materials that he laid down in front of me, I just go, yep, I'm in. And I write a check of every last penny that I saved up leading up to that point, and here you go. I was going to cash on my RSPs, I was going to cash on my savings, and um, just so that that check were clear. Because he was promising 8%, 9% over four or five years. Right, and if you know the rule of seventy-two, I'm thinking my RSP's been doing two percent. This is gonna give me eight or nine, if not more. And this is hard asset. That's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, a few months later, and because this was two thousand and nine, so remember two thousand and eight global financial crisis. Oh nine came around. I think I was probably the very last wave of whoever they could get money from, because about a month later, so at the turn of two thousand and ten. You know, I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I'm going to get my D certificate now. And I actually got something from a law firm. And I was so excited. I opened up that mail only to find out that, well, guess what? They actually took everybody's money and ran. This job site was already abandoned. And the letter was basically the lawyer saying, hey, you know what? A group of investors, they had already started a class act lawsuit. Do you want to join it? If you do, come to an info session. That's what that was about. Oh. And I'm just going... 
oh my god, like, what's happening here? I did not, that's how naive, really, I was. Like, I didn't think something like that could happen oh, or goodness. would happen. Right? I'm sure you've heard of stories like that, too, unfortunately. Yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and, and I think really the, um, the, the, the turning point of that was I did decide to go to the info session. I did not join the lawsuit. However, I'm so glad that I popped into that meeting because the moment I walked into that room, I very quickly realized I was probably one of the youngest, if not the youngest person in that room. Because what I saw was people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe even. And they had their entire life savings put towards the same project that my money was in that got taken away. And there were people that were basically just crying. They could not even comprehend or speak their minds or anything anymore. And it, it hurts. It hurts even just thinking about it every time. However, I'm glad that I, I witnessed that. Because that is really, a lot of the times it's my guiding light. Because, you know, there are times in this industry, things get tough. Like what you were saying, right? When you borrow money, don't make your problem their problem. You're still going to run into problems. Yep. However, when those moments happen now, I just remember people saying, that was my entire life's work. How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to pay rent? How am I, some of them were even saying that, you know what? I might, I might as well just go and off myself, jump up a bridge or something. And it was, it was truly oh. heartbreaking this scene. So is that the and start over? Is that where you, after that, where you started over? Yeah. <laughs> and I think everything happens for a reason because like, I, I, I walked away from that really shook up and really numb at the same time. You know that feeling? I just like, okay, okay, well, what now? Right. And I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I'm still young, so I can still work my assets off and, accumulate something and start over what about those people however what if this happens to me again 20 years from now and everything kind of happens for a reason i really do believe that and then a couple weeks later um, i was driving uh, to a work appointment and uh this little ad came on and said hey come to a real estate investing workshop we're going to teach you how to do this professionally so i went and so I went to this first workshop and I invested $50,000 of my money. I actually had to take out loans to get myself trained because everything the, the trainer was saying just made a whole lot of sense and including the one I just said. Yep. If you know what you're doing, you can make a lot of money. If you don't, you can lose the, a lot of money, which I did already at the tender age of 28. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just to have a taste of that, it was just not great at all. And so even though I had no savings left, I decided to go out and take loans so that I can pay for my education. And that's actually how I got started. And I think that's why I became super passionate about financial education as well. And six years ago, I started you know, being in that industry and started to travel around the globe to really educate people on financial education as well, mostly leveraging real estate. However, on our own, we've leveraged a lot of the same soft skills and business building mindsets uh, to acquire other businesses too over the years. I know in your past you've worked in uh, doing some mobile home parks and some flips mm -hmm. down in the States. Is that yeah. where you went right after the um, yeah. after re restarting yeah. or did you go into some Canadian stuff and back and forth? Like how does the rest of the story go? Yeah. <laughs> so I think the, um, the, the B side, if you, <laughs> if you follow me, the cassette days, the B side <laughs> of that story is that I actually, um, 
the year after I, um, so 2010 was when I started getting educated. Yep. So started applying what I've learned. 2011, I had a third minor heart attack that hit. Oh. And so, yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody actually expected that to be fair. Cause I had one at 18 and then 19, I had a heart surgery when I was 20 and I had a six year follow up uh, schedule and my cardiologist just cleared me. No problem. And, uh, at the age of 29, had a third minor heart attack, and that was my fault. Again, corporate lifestyle, I was, uh, I was climbing up the ladder pretty quickly, and I was managing four teams across three different time zones. And that's why, 80-hour weeks, if not more, because I had to travel, too. Oh. And um, just wasn't really taking care of myself. I mean, the money was okay. However, it w- I wasn't taking care of myself, so that happened. And uh, when that happened, it really taught me. You know, a lot of people said, usually when I tell this story, a lot of people think, say, um, so two heart attacks didn't teach you anything. You have to have a third one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true because, you know, in 2011, when it happened, I, it kind of catapulted me into a major, major depression at the same time. And so I was kind of battling both physically and mentally to get better. And um, at that point, though, you know, a couple of months into it, all of a sudden it hit me that, hey, you know what? I actually invested in my financial education. If I'm not going to use it now, when am I ever going to use it? And that's really when I started to actively applying what I've learned. And so the silver lining about what happened there, though, is that um, I did not go into the U.S. right off the bat, even though I think for a lot of Canadians, that's sort of one of the aspirations always. You know, 10 times the population, way more opportunities. You can still pick up properties for like, pennies on the dollars, that sort of thing, right? In different markets that you go to. Um, I did because I was recovering and building a portfolio at the same time. Um, We actually started in our own backyard. These days, we don't do that anymore because we have a formula that we stick to. However, in the beginning, because we really could identify with the lease option strategy. So that was actually my baby strategy. And I've been teaching that uh, through another organization uh, for the last six years. And so... And yeah, that's kind of how we got started and hammered out. I didn't think it was actually a lot because I just felt like I lived in a world of giants of people that uh, accumulate properties like nobody's business, like they're, they're buying candies or something. <laughs> and so our first year we did uh, just about 12, I mean, depending on how you count your cutoff date. The way I count my cutoff date that year was our fiscal year. We did exactly 12, so a dozen lease options. And that's using lease options or rent to own as an exit strategy, primarily single family homes. So we were helping people get into homeownership because I was an immigrant myself. So in 2004, when I was looking to acquire my very first property, that condo that I mentioned in Vancouver, uh, nobody would give me a mortgage unless, you know, I had a co-signer, I had, I think at the time it was 45% down. And I'm like, well, I just graduated university as an international student. Where am I, where am I going to find 45% down? Even though it was only a $260,000 condo back then. Yep. Right? <laughs> yep. And so, and so I think that strategy has always had a soft spot for me. And I understand that a lot of people, they didn't do it very well. So that was also a personal goal to just make it as perfect as possible. So first year we did a dozen, second year we did two dozens. However, the cool thing about that was that basically six properties in, I was financially free because after my heart attack, I was lucky that I was able to be home for about almost a year. I was really recovering, doing everything I could. I wasn't really active just yet until the turn of 2012 at this point. And, um, 
became super active on doing deals. And basically, July came around, 2012, uh, 2012 and uh, I was about to go back to work. And so I hope nobody ever has to experience this because if you do, that usually means that you were off on a fairly major illness so that you could qualify for long-term disability. However, when I was going back to work, um, they were offering, the, between the employers and the insurance companies, they were offering me something called a graduated return to work schedule. So funny enough, because that's what the government is saying now about COVID yep. when it all gets lifted, right? Instead yep. of 40 hours a week, you're doing eight hours first week, 15 hours second week, you gradually reintegrate yourself back into that environment. And two weeks into it, I got a call. Literally, you know what? I've never seen this happen to any of my friends leading up to that point, just in movies and TV shows. I got called in, and because it was satellite office here in Edmonton, then I got called into a meeting room with my director at the time at a hotel. They rented a room for the day. It was one table two chairs, one on each side with an envelope right in the middle. I was getting laid off that day. Oh. And, you know, it probably helps to tell you that I worked for the Yellow Pages group. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> you don't have to cut that out. It's fine. <laughs> and so it makes sense. It, whenever I tell people who I worked for, they're like, well, that makes sense. They couldn't afford to keep you. <laughs> and um, so that day happened, and I will always remember that. That was July 25th, 2012, because that was also the day after that happened, I went home. I actually wasn't freaking out. I had a feeling that it was going to be okay. Because the moment I got home, back then, I was still running on an Excel spreadsheet to track all of our properties. And I added all the cash flows up. And I realized, hey, I'm actually financially free. So that was what's actually really cool about it. And so that's why lease option, not only do we get to help people to become homeowners and immigrants, really, that's my soft spot. Again, it got me to retire myself at 30. And as a result, I was able to, because as every deal came to a close, there was that lump sum profit too. And I was able to start doing small lending deals too. And in a way, that's kind of how I grew my portfolio. So the first couple of years, it was a lot of lending and then it was uh, rent owns and it was some flip projects here and there. Yep. And then the next step was, well, hey, you know what? Once you start to be active in an industry, people naturally kind of hear about you. They start to present opportunities with you. And that's when the, uh, the U.S. deals came through. So we started teaming up. Same strategy, just flips and some auction buying down in the, uh, down in the Arizona market. Yep. And uh, we did some of that. And then the biggest one that we did, and it was actually done not through a cash buy, however, what we call a rolling option. Yep. So again, when people learn about lease options, you understand that really when it comes to options, it's the sky's the limit. You can be as creative as you want to be. And we were really helping out a seller in need at the time. It was 144 lot uh, mobile home park and spread into two different uh, two different chunks of land and uh, right outside of Dallas, Fort Worth. Okay. And uh, so we kind of got in, we started talking about it in end of 2013, officially got into it in 2014. And uh, unfortunately, had to let it go in 2017 because I did not realize how liberal, let's just put it that way, a lot of my money investors are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what? Blessing in disguise, everything happens for a reason, like I said earlier, because... Um, uh, funny enough, those uh, those uh, whoever bought that from us, they somehow decided not to run it anymore after a couple of years. So, oh, yeah, maybe however, we were lucky. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I know. 
because I think maybe they're gearing up for bigger things I didn't follow up to be really honest. However, uh, we bought it when the US Canadian was only 1 to 1.1. And when we sold it, and we bought it through rolling options, meaning we actually had very little money down. And whatever money we had to put down, it was all through private lending as well, through joint venture partnerships and uh, partnership structures. And um, so really, so it was what, maybe I'll just slow you down there for a second. Maybe we yeah. should define rolling options. How is like, <laughs> I know I, I, do, I, I do lease options, but what's yes. what exactly is a rolling option? So basically rolling options, honestly, though, if you've done a simple purchase, yeah. meaning if you've made an offer to buy something, every single offer to purchase contract typically already has a rolling option. Rolling option just means that you have different options coming due at different times. However, you stack them as a graduate schedule. And so in this particular case, because I can talk about this all day because it took us three months to get the paperwork done with the lawyers too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> However, I'll give you the short and sweet version. How's that? No, no, let's do it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, like I said, 144 units and spread between two different chunks of land. And on one chunk of them, it was actually split into two different lots as well. And so basically what we decided to do was that because the seller was in need to sell because he, he committed himself into another development project so he needed some money out first and at the same time he was also already looking to leave that market so what we managed to negotiate with him was that hey you know what so for the first chunk i don't remember i don't remember exactly how many um units were in that chunk yeah. however the point is we negotiated that hey you know what we're going to buy your entire 144 units with you over a 12 months time period and so the first four months we are going to acquire that first chunk first and what we're going to do because at the time the reason why he also wanted to sell was because he didn't want to manage it anymore because it was actually not performing however it had all the potential in the world and we knew that if we just come in and do what we knew what to do in terms of marketing and then finding better management companies and really cleaning up the tendency a little bit yeah. and upgrade a few things no different than a typical property, that process, we will make it perform pretty well. Okay. So what we decided to do was that we're going to acquire that first piece. We asked for four months. And in that four months, we decided to do all the things I just described with yeah. you so that it, it gets to a certain cash flow point so that we can actually leverage that to borrow money from our private investors right here in Canada and to bring the money down to the U.S., and so we actually only had to spend money on legal fees to do agreements with him. And the moment we could prove that we are able to turn that first chunk around and make a cash flow in four months, it was easy for us to raise funds now to okay. go and acquire the second one. However, we locked that in. So no different than, you know, every workshop that you ever go to that teaches you how to do real estate investing. Rule number one is always get it under contract right? Make an offer, get it under contract. And that's exactly what we did. It's just that we did not promise to buy everything in one go. We had different conditions with each, each um, chunk, let's yep. say the three chunks. So the first chunk, no money down. Second chunk, we gave him what he needed to walk away so that he can go into this project as we started to make the business profitable again. So I'm guessing this wasn't your first dive into the u.s no that was not 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 our first one and yeah we because of the environment and network that we were in through the education that we got we we were able to get connected to a lot of good power team members as well as active investors selling in the u.s right off the bat so yeah 
Yeah, and that's like the trick you're going to need, right? Like if you want to change management and find better management, you don't want to exactly. waste your time putting your a bad one in and then another bad one, another bad one to find the right one. Skip some steps by with some networking, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that's kind of what we did uh, down there. And in 2017, um, I decided to go over to the UK as well and to start building portfolios. Oh, See, yeah. So the idea about the UK, though, really, it wasn't so much about the UK per se. It was the fact that we actually just wanted to continue to acquire properties and anywhere in the globe that would work. However, again, one of the biggest things is, again, I'm, I'm from Asia originally, and mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Taiwan. Now, uh, we all know how, you know how strong China's market has become and them as a force of a global economic leader moving forward as well. And so in the last 10 years, the Chinese markets are have just boomed like crazy. And so obviously that was a market that I was looking into as well. However, again, this sort of presented um, another side of the challenge because while, while we were looking at the Chinese market, while we were looking at some of the other markets like New Zealand and Australia and the Philippines and Vietnam and even Italy as well as Spain, we looked at all those because honestly though, selfishly, we were looking at those places because we wanted to maybe start buying our own retirement residences or okay. vacation homes too yeah, and um, yeah, yeah right? <laughs> so in the meantime rent it out make it make money for you and you have a vacation place everywhere in the, in the world you want to go to <laughs> however the biggest thing that we really learned though is that you know not necessarily every single country that you go to when you bring the money in you can actually take the money out when you want to and that is actually what got us to really start studying sort of, okay, as Canadians, because you say you're Canadians investing in the U.S., as Canadians, when we bring our money abroad, across the border, it's great because a lot of government, they love it. They love foreign investors because you're boosting their economy. Yeah. You're helping them build their infrastructure, especially when it comes to real estate. However, when you need that money out, how easy is it for you to do that? And so that really launched this whole, like, I think it took us about two, three years just to do studies here and there while we continue to just add properties to our portfolio as well, right here in North America. And uh, we landed in the UK because, and uh, 2016, obviously, we all know Brexit voting happened. And UK at that point, the pound dropped by 45% overnight. And as Canadians, it's like money, right? Because, again, it's one of the world's oldest, actually, I think it is the world's oldest recognized common international currency. And so there is something that I've learned over the years called the mean reversion when it comes to currencies as well. It basically means that at the end of the day, again, uh, it doesn't matter what the exchange rate right now is uh, fluctuating at. There is always a graph. Everything is cyclical, almost like real estate. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm, I'm going to be explaining mean reversion today. I mean, everybody can Google that a little bit. Okay, yeah. Specifically though, about currency. Okay. Yeah. It basically just means that yes, you know what, pound may have temporarily lost its value right now. However, even if you look at what it's trading at these days, it's already at one point seven. About one point seven in 2016 when it first when the voting first happened, I think it dipped as low as one point five six. That is ridiculous. And at its peak, pound against Canadian dollars was what 2.2 2. 
And so I think from that point, that was very attractive for me because again, we go into real estate obviously for cash flow, however, also for long-term wealth. And because of our experience in the U.S. as well, like I said, when we first got into it, it was $1 U.S. to 1.1. When we let it go, it was actually 1 to 1.35 already. And so, you know, we kind of learned from that experience that, hey, you know what, what if we can not just not just make a cash flow, not just make the equity gain and the pay down and the market lift. What if we can even have a little bit on top of that, which is the currency edge? Why not? <laughs> huh. So that's kind of what got me to go into it. Obviously, um, again, uh, I was contracting myself out to another organization before, and I was traveling around the globe to teach people how to invest in that market too. And so I'm just a big fan of leading by example personally i would never tell anybody to do what i've not done nor am not willing to do especially when it comes to investing so if you don't mind me asking what did you what did you buy when you were over in europe <laughs> yeah so okay so in the uk this is what's actually really cool because you know what i actually didn't go to the uk until i decided to set up a business the first trip that i took to the uk to london i went and set up my corporation there and so it's really interesting that you don't have to personally be there to decide that you want to invest there because that is one of the biggest lessons that I'm also sharing a lot with people these days is that I think a lot of people when it comes to real estate investing, they put more emphasis on real estate than investing. However, I mean, not everybody's a realtor in this industry. I mean, we call ourselves investors for a reason. Right? Because yeah. we're learning about how money works at the end of the day. Like, that's why, again, financial education to me is the biggest piece of it all. Because we're just leveraging real estate as our vehicle yep. to create that cash flow, to generate that long term wealth. So, when, when I went over there, um, I realized, oh my God, people actually live very differently. Their, their, their lifestyle, yep. right? And I, I didn't realize how packed it was. Because coming from Asia, everything's like just packed yes and then i came to north america i've been here for 20 years now and everything is wide open plus i'm in alberta now so we got a lot of land yeah and a lot of blue sky and sunny days and so i forget what it's like and so all of a sudden i get to the uk it's like yeah you know what everything all the studying all the research that i've done is true 65 million people in that teeny on that teeny tiny island and most properties are old and run down and have mold issues surprise right yeah, yeah. Great. and uh and we, i just realized that because one of the strategies that we learned is what they call hmo houses of, of multiple occupancies so we would just simply call it rooming houses basically and here rooming houses really are not that popular unless you know you're a student still and you want to cut some costs right yeah over there super popular super super popular and it's it's like a cash flowing machine oh, if yeah. you're in the right market and you have the right product that you put out there as well and so we usually say that again uh, a regular hmo is about five bedrooms or bigger and it's got usually three floors and um and it caters to not just students, it also caters to what they call semi-professionals and professionals because the train system, then they're actually expanding on their train systems as well. I don't know what COVID has done to it. I haven't done my research yeah. yet. <laughs> However, they're always expanding on their transportation because as we all know, when it comes to doing due diligence 101 on buying properties, it's location, location, location. However, the way we determine that location, especially over there, is how accessible, how accessible the property is to major cities or rather 
major employment centers. And so as long as that box is checked, you're pretty much good to go. So what that really means is that, you know, you actually have your traveling lawyers and doctors and nurses and students and contractors, right? And they, because unlike Canada, it takes nine hours to fly from coast to coast. You can drive around that island in nine hours, basically. <laughs> and that's the difference, yeah. right? So again, when we have higher contractors here, most of them are local. Or at the very most, they probably come from a different province. For example, right, BC was getting a lot of Alberta contractors because our economy wasn't doing so well, and vice versa when Alberta was booming. However, in that country, you can literally have one contracting crew move around the island for you as long as you're buying properties across the country. Huh. Right? <laughs> and so obviously not ideal. <laughs> However, that, that's, that's the point is that that's the density that we're talking about. And this is what really opened up my eyes after the US, because you know what, 360 million people and here's 65, still sig significantly less. However, it's also a lot easier to get yeah. to. And, uh, and funny enough, my very first property over there was just very simple. And we take the same approach every time we build a new portfolio in a new market, is that we always solidify our passive income first and then we go and play and gamble a little bit because <laughs> these days we actually do a lot of land developments and some goes really some go really well and some go nowhere however again when you get when you get to that level usually there's a lot of upfront costs that you have to incur right however again like i said we just focus on passive with every new pro uh, new market that we go into and in the uk we actually started out with the scottish market we got into glasgow and then we were buying what they call buy to lets which is our single family home income properties basically so that was actually the <laughs> the added spice of it all is you think you speak english and <laughs> turns out you don't because <laughs> let is rent right oh over there, like L-E-T, like let's go. Let means rent. So you hmm. buy to rent it out, buy to let. And uh, most people, you know, kind of like when we say RTO is rent to own, they do B and then the number two and then L. That's a buy to let. So that's a small income property. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I was able to buy my very first buy to let for 35,000 pounds. Wow. And... That turned out to be 70,000 Canadian all in with fees. And then we had to do about, about $12,000 of renovation work. So let's say, let's just say after all is said and done, 85,000. Okay. Yeah. And that was cash buy, actually not leveraging yet. The rent on that was 375 pounds a month. Wow. Wow. <laughs> And, and that, that really opened up our eyes. And this is why these days when we teach, you know, we always talk about the whole... Because it's not, you're talking 85,000 Canadian, and then you I'm talk about rent and pounds. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're going to go, you got to compare apples to apples. So pounds to rent. So you were getting, you said 750 pounds, mm -hmm. and it was probably what that worked out to, like 45K, uh, 45,000 45, pounds. Yeah, around there. So maybe less, maybe less. Yeah, 15, around yeah. there. Yeah, and I'm just doing some rough math in my head. Okay. Yeah. Because people always like to go, well, that's not, no, that's yeah. just around the 1%. No, you're different currencies, different currencies. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I know, you know, for some people, because we can also go to New Brunswick still and get better cash on cash. Yeah. At the same time, 
our goal was to really expand our portfolio internationally and go into a market where it if and when we do sell the property or when we want to bring the cash flow back into Canada, there's no problems, right? The countries, they have treaties, they have tax taxation talks already, and it's all done. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how we landed in that market. And then we got into buying HMOs and then we got into doing commercial conversions as well. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. Over there, there is such a shortage on residential housing that we're buying old commercial properties. So one of the biggest projects that we've done so far over there is to convert a old place, a place for worship, not a church per se, yeah. however, a place for worship back into an 18 unit student rental wow. by a university. And, and the demand is just kind of crazy. It's, it's yeah. So it's, it's a whole different world. Right, and so that's what we've done over there so far. And every pro every property, obviously, distress being the very fundamental approach. Okay, you just got to be curious. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, you got a corporation over in uh, Scotland in is Great Britain. Great Britain. That's what I was going to yes. say. Like, so, like the corporation <laughs> is it like country specific, Great Britain specific, Euro specific? Like how? It's, so it's down to Great Britain, so you get a, yes. uh, a, yes. a corporation for that. And how yes. is that corporation different than, say, a Canadian corporation? Or you're familiar with the Americans, too. Is it similar to an LLC, an LP, a C-Corp, an S-Corp, or a Canadian Corp? <laughs> uh, very similar to a Canadian Corp. And this is usually the, the conversation that I have with people, just because, I mean, uh, we've looked at other places. However, personal experience-wise, we've done Canadian, U.S., and the U.K. as well. And this is how I, what I tell people is that from a tax standpoint, Canada and the U.K. are very, very similar. From a closing and buying process perspective, Canada and the U.S. are very similar. Because in the U.K., until possession date, the seller and the buyer can both change their mind, even if the conditions are all removed. Oh. Yeah. So that presented some challenges and getting yeah, some like, well, how that would that sounds like a nightmare if you were actually living there and you're like, oh, I sold my other house, I'm moving into this one. Oh, we changed our mind. What? Where am I going to live? <laughs> yep, yep. Hence HMOs because a lot of the HMOs are also short-term rentals. <laughs> ah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, you know what? You just gave me a light bulb moment. <laughs> how difficult was it to get a mortgage? Now, you know what? Actually, not overly difficult, to be really honest. Um, as long as you can, they, they will actually take your foreign income as proof as well. They have different programs. And so that's why even from a lending perspective, it's not all that different. Obviously, oh. like most lenders, they want to see a track record. So once we've actually established our corporations, most of the times they want to see at least two years of track record. And that's why in the beginning, we were buying smaller properties all with cash. And then once we hit that two-year mark, we started to remortgage everything and just scale up our portfolio that way. So a lot of people here, we just know it as the bird process. Yep. However, for, for a decade now, we've always been talking about, hey, it's all about money in, money out, income for life, assets for free, right? That just got my head spinning. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? From what I thought this, how I thought this conversation was going to go. We're like totally in something else. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about flips and trailer parks, and we'll probably talk about a lot of Canadian real estate. And I'm like, we're in the UK. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, how do we get over there? No, but I love it. I'm like, because yeah. I, you know, I, 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 you know, the, you know, you get, you get your, 
mind running. You're like, okay, well, I could go into like Puerto Rico and all these other places that are basically a state, right? Because they're all affiliated. And then you're like, I don't even have to learn new laws. And you go, well, I could go to some of these other countries, but then I have to learn new laws. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah some of these, if you go Great yeah. Britain, it's very similar. You're like, that, that does have an yeah. appeal. Like, I understand Canadian, I understand American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that, you know what? You kind of you made, re- made a really good point there. And you really hit the nail on the head there is the fact that. You know, we all pretty much still speak the same language. Again, it was a bit of a challenge in the beginning. Yeah. Plus, English was not my first language to begin with. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so going over there, it's like, you know, they don't call lawyers lawyers. They call them solicitors, right? And, like, um, um, appraisers are valuers and con- general contractors are builders. So all these things, you know, like, we use the same words. They just kind of means something different altogether at the same time right yeah and it, it's fun however the point is though um this is what i keep telling people is that when we decided to go down to the u.s yes you know auction buying maybe a little bit of that process we have to learn however at the end of the day what we're doing is what buying distressed when we're buying you know the mobile home park doing rolling options really it's the combination of lease options and knowing how to buy distressed once again how to solve the seller's problems and knowing a little bit about the loss, we went to the UK, same idea, right? Once you have some fundamental strategies and knowledge and experience done, all you're really learning are two things, in my opinion, building codes and regulations and tax laws. I've been looking for an excuse to go to Scotland. And I'm like, <laughs> there we go. You should. You yeah. should. It's still, it's still a good market. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And again, how long ago to, was this to know, get like a 35K pound? 35,000 pound property. How long, how this many years was, ago we're talking about? Yeah, so this is the beginning of 2017 these days. I mean, again, I'm, I still have a lot of wholesalers that I work with. By the way, wholesalers, they call them sourcing agents. <laughs> so I'm still connected to quite a bit of sourcing agents uh, just because we're, we're actively building that portfolio still. Uh, we just finished our entire first round of remortgaging at the beginning of the year, thank God, right before the lockdown happened. And so I was planning to go back there and to do some shopping. Right, property shopping. Yeah, and uh, well, and it's gonna be tough now. Business trips, right? <laughs> all business trips. Everything that I've experienced in life so far just really taught me that life is way too short to not pursue what you truly have fun with. So, people wanted to get a hold of you. How do they track you down? Yeah, uh, you know, very simple. They can find me on Facebook. I'm the only Tim Tsai out there. Actually, I'm not, but <laughs> um, that was that's my handle though, that I created uh, yep. with Facebook. Because you get to name yourself. And uh, these days, if they want to email me, they can email me at tim at trustyourtalent.ca. 